Hey you, welcome to Tea Talk, a space to share the therapy tea. I'm Shailene, your host, and I hope you'll join me each week as we sit down to share tips, stories, and conversations on getting better emotionally, recovering from trauma, and improving your overall quality of life. I want to remind everyone that even though podcasts can feel therapeutic, they are definitely not a replacement for therapy. Please, at any point, if you feel the need to take a break because the content is too heavy, please do that and take care of yourself. Also, if you're loving this podcast, please do me a favor and leave me a review, share your reflections with me on Instagram and share it with a friend who needs to hear it. All right. So I'm ready. You're ready. And we're friends now. So go ahead and sit down, cozy up, and let's get ready for today's episode. Want to chat? Have a question for me? A comment on today's episode, maybe? Click the link in the show notes to send me a message. It's quick and easy. Talk to you soon. All right. I'm here with Nicole Taylor, a good friend of mine. Say hi to everyone, Nicole. Hi, everybody. So Nicole is here, and we were just talking about how when we scheduled this interview, she did not have her own podcast. But by the time you guys hear this, she actually will, in fact, have her own podcast. And do you want to tell everybody what the podcast is about and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. The podcast is going to be titled Uncomfortable Conversations About Money. You can find it on all your podcasting sites. And um, it kind of came about, well, through talks with you, Shailene. We were texting the one night and you were telling me, I, I was texting you a book I was reading because I've been on this journey over this last, call it a year of really digging deep about career, money, and all these, let's call them traumas that that I've experienced or, or have come to light about my experience, my relationship with money and my career. Like I've always had a very successful career, but I've never believed in myself, I guess. So mm. This idea that uncomfortable conversations about money, I think, comes from people not talking about it. I mean, look at nowadays, you used to the three things I feel like you couldn't talk about were politics, religion and money. Right. And now everything else is, you know, politics, religion. Everybody talks about everything at such public, you know. Yeah. Like Please like stop. people people can't <laughs> even go to like family dinners anymore without talking politics. But the minute you talk about money, like people cringe, right? And I say yeah. that like, oh, if you if you cringe at the title of the podcast, you're in the right place, you know? Yeah. Because I think even me, like, you know, I had an experience with a friend recently that was like, hey, you mind if I ask how much it costs to get your deck done? Like stuff <laughs> like that. Like I'm only asking because I want to get my deck done. I'm not asking to Why judge you or shame so you. Weird. Right. If you don't mind so, me asking, how much did you pay for that couch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why do we have to like preface it with that? It's it's, you know, so that's where I think and, and that, you know, a silly thing, but that leads to much bigger, I think the lack of talking about money, especially with friends, spouses, partners, or in your job asking for a raise, all this stuff doesn't serve us, right? So yeah. you and I were texting and I was sending you this book I was reading. And you were like, I'm going to write a book, you should write a book. And it was just back <laughs> and forth. And I was like, well, maybe I maybe I'll start a podcast. Like, what do you think about? Yeah. a podcast? And then from that in that, like, I don't know, a couple hours after that, I workshopped all these names, all these people I wanted to interview. And it was like, scary. But I was like, you know what, even if no one listens, it'll like be cathartic to have these conversations. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah for sure. It's yeah. so awesome. And I'm super proud of you. And I'm thinking it is such an important conversation. And without you saying it, I'm hearing this unsaid mission around eradicating shame with mm. money and, and talking about money more. In DBT, one of the skills that is taught specifically in response to being able to move through shame is opposite action. So it's like the thing that causes unjustified shame. And you you know, it sounds like you've at least determined there are many of these situations where it's like, why do we feel so weird with talking about money that's not actually justified? There's not any, anything wrong with spending mm -hmm. money on your couch or your deck or whatever it is you spend money on. And so therefore, asking that question in theory shouldn't be wrong. And so we do things that we're basically doing exposure on ourselves. We're talking about things that make us really uncomfortable in order to decrease shame. So I love that that's basically what you're doing with your podcast. One, it'll benefit a lot of other people. But I also heard you say like, well, at the worst, I'll just do it for myself and it'll help me work through some of those weird feelings that I really don't feel like should be there in the first place. So that's really awesome. When I was going through your website, I saw one of the topics that you had there was around financial trauma. I'm curious when you put those words together, money and trauma, money and healing, like what does that bring up to you? And I'm curious more about your own personal journey to to where you've gotten today. Yeah. So I think when I think of like financial trauma and I got to this specific journey now was when I started seeing a therapist after having the baby. 
a postpartum therapist. And eventually we got through the postpartum stuff, the anxiety, and, and I, I got presented with this opportunity for a new job. Now, my if anybody looks at my LinkedIn, it's not, don't tell my employer, it's not necessarily true because I, I've, I've edited out a lot of jobs because I haven't stayed at one, maybe three years was one like mm-hmm. eight years ago. And every, every two years or so, I change jobs. And I get this idea from people that are like, another mm-hmm. job? You're going to take another job? Like, I'm in sales. I'm in it for the money. And this journey of being able to comfortably say that has been very hard for me because I think we are in a generation. It's like, oh, you got to do your passion, you know, do what you love. You never work a day in your life, blah, blah, blah. And like, I literally went from a bartender with a finance degree to selling toilet paper to like auto body shops, you know, and I made really good money. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not passionate about the feeling of this toilet paper. You know what I mean? Like, so I started in my sales career selling, like, which was a product everybody needed, right? Like all these places, uniforms, whatever. But the idea that I was just doing it for the money was always, I was always shamed for that. Mm-hmm. And then I would go from one job to the mm-hmm. next that I'd make more money. And it was like to the next and make more money. Yeah. And I, and I remember I be, you like, texting me about celebrating it too. that. Like, I mean, when you, prior, but that, but I, prior I said I want to quit my job. Um, prior to, to therapy? Jack, you were like, <laughs> I think I need to go to therapy because I keep changing jobs. And I was like, okay, I mean, sure. Like, you know, anyone should go to therapy. That's wonderful. And even then, like, I didn't really. For me, if it's a problem for you, then it's a problem for you. And if you want to go talk to somebody about it, then you should go talk to somebody about it. But it's interesting now. I mean, this is years later. We talk a lot about imposter syndrome and like, do I deserve this? And Mm -hmm. that's not that wasn't even I don't think that was like a thought in either of our minds and talking about this years ago. It was just kind of like, well, I keep changing jobs. So something must be wrong with me. And so if something's wrong with me, then I should go to therapy. Yep. Because I because I finally so I went to a job I was I was a financial advisor when I was texting you that I remember sitting in the office being like, I finally got to this place where I thought that was the job I always wanted. I went to school for finance. I was always scared to take the series seven sixty six test, all that stuff, like very intimidating. And I did it. And I was so proud of myself. And I'm like, I'm doing the thing that I was supposed to supposed to do. I was supposed to go to college and get this degree and do something with this degree and and make paying for college mean something. Right. Like all of these. And I'm in this and I'm miserable. And I'm like, I can't see myself showing up to the office eight to six for the next 30 years. You know what I mean? Talking to people about their retirement. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing? And I was so unhappy and realizing, like, as a te- like, what's what am I going to do now? I did all these random sales jobs. Now I'm a financial advisor. I have a big fancy title and I feel good about that. And I could tell people I'm going to be a certified financial planner. And like realizing I was doing this all, I guess, because if I if it sounded good to mm-hmm. you, it was going to feel good to me. And I remember texting you and saying, like, should I go to therapy? Because I knew something was deeply wrong. And I felt like I didn't have a journey. I didn't have a a passion in life. I didn't have this thing I wanted to be. I had friends that were, like, nurses. And they always wanted to help people. And Justin was a therapist. And he wanted to help people. And I'm just like, I just want to make money. But I feel ashamed. And I wasn't making as much money then Mm -hmm. as I was making when I was in sales. And I felt like I shouldn't care about that because that's what people say. You shouldn't care about the money. You shouldn't do it for the money. And so I think this idea of financial trauma stems from – and it's no one's fault. It's not my parents' fault. My parents were hustlers. They were entrepreneurs. They were always working two, three jobs to make money. And I say this in my podcast. I don't think it was because we, I mean, yeah, we needed the money, mm-hmm. but I think they just liked the game, right? The hustle. And I think that's what I like. And maybe that's why I was driven to sales. So again, I just quit this job. I took another sales job just to get out. And I've resolved to the fact that like, as long as I'm selling a decent product that people need, and I like my boss, and it's a good company, and I can make mm-hmm. as much money as I want, I'm should be happy, should be happy, right? Like, just the money. I mean, it makes me feel good to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, I doubled my income in a year. And like, I feel like when I say that, people are gonna Mm -hmm. be like, ugh, and roll their eyes. But like, again, why? You know, because if you told me that, I'd be like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Like, let's celebrate each other. Let's bring each other up. Because the more, the better you do in your Mm -hmm. business, the more money you make, the more I'm going to be not Mm -hmm. jealous, but I'm inspired. Because, oh, I can do it too. And that's where I think the script Mm -hmm. needs to flip, right? It's not this idea when you're like, I remember my dad saying when I was younger, like, you know, I went to work every day so I could make I could make money, put food on the table, have insurance. And like, it's just it's just what you do until you retire. You just have to be happy enough until you retire. And I remember being like, I tried to to like fit that into my life. And it Mm -hmm. just never felt right. So this past year, when I when I got this opportunity for this job and I was in therapy, with with this therapist, because I, I don't think I really dug deep enough until, you know, things kept happening over the years. And I was like, I mean, I'm going to take this job, but like, I don't know why I keep doing this. And the imposter syndrome thing came up because it's I'm in sales. So again, you're only as good as how much you sell, mm-hmm. which equates how much money you make. So it's very hard to 
to separate the two, to not put your self-worth in line with how much money you make or what your quota is, or if you hit your quota, like, you know, because you're judged by a number. Like, if I'm not 100%, like, I suck, right? That's been the mentality since I was first in sales. If you don't hit President's Club, you failed, right? So there's, like, no in-between. And I still talk to friends of mine that we worked together, like, eight years ago of this. How do I not Mm -hmm. equate that to my self-worth, right? How do I still feel like I'm doing a good job and providing for my family if I'm not the best because not everybody can be the best right the you know like you're in a sales organization there's going to be a top 10 percent. there's going to be everybody else so yeah there's only so much space yeah right and everybody wants to be that's what you strive for so i started talking to the therapist about this and this idea of imposter syndrome also came up because i think i leave jobs and what i realized is i i do good enough and i think part of it's self-sabotage i could go down a whole thing of like i don't actually think i'm good enough i don't think i can do so I, i do just enough and then I, I'm not like ever quite good enough, although everybody around me thinks I'm so great that it's like it makes you even feel less about yourself, which is so crazy. If your boss is like, you're going to be the best. I see so much potential in you. You're like, yeah, no, but I can't. And I realized <laughs> I realized I like did that for a long time. And then I would quit because I'd be like, well, or if, even if I had a really good year, there was like no way I could top that next year. So I might as well quit, go work somewhere else and start over from the beginning again, where everyone thinks I'm, thinks I'm great, thinks I'm great, thinks I'm great. And whether I achieve or don't, I'm going to leave anyway before you find out I'm not that great, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I'm coming up on a year of being at my job now. I'm doing really well and I'm starting to have those thoughts of, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this again next year? Mm -hmm. You know, but I'm like, feel like I've done and I'm still doing work. I'm reading tons of books to keep myself being like, yeah, you can. And even Mm -hmm. if you don't, that you're still providing for your family and that's okay. And it's just this like, so it's a long-winded way of explaining why the, the idea of money for me, especially with my job, relates so much to my self-worth and how I'm trying to like walk that line. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not easy, right? But I think the more conversations we have about it, and everybody could be on a different plane, but just in money in general and how it drives us, because I'm sorry, we're all working for a paycheck to pay bills, to go on vacation, to do shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> so why not talk about it? I remember I used to have this boss back when I was in college. I was serving. I worked at this restaurant called Johnny Carino's. It was like an olive garden, basically. And I had this boss that was probably, I mean, I'm five foot one. She had to be like four something. She was this short, blonde, ran a super tight ship. Like, and I remember there was a point where, for whatever reason, people would go in the back and they, when they would clear the tables, they would go put the plates away. And when they would put the plates away, they were just kind of careless about it. And like dishes were breaking here and there, but like more frequently than not. And she was pissed because this comes out of, you know, like the budget to run the restaurant or whatever. And so I guess people were making comments about like, whatever, it's just a plate. And they would say things like, this isn't my real job. Like, this Mm -hmm. isn't my career, which I think I can totally understand being in that mindset. I've been in that mindset before when I was young and like, whatever, I'm not going to be here forever. And she called us all in the back and she was like, she was fuming and she was like, this is my house. Seated to throw five dishes on the floor and like grab everyone's attention. And then it was like, everyone's listening. But then she said, (laughs) for everyone who thinks this isn't a real job, I don't pay you with Monopoly money. And I was like, damn, (laughs) you Mm. think this isn't real, your your real job, but Mm -hmm. you are making real money when you leave here. So whatever you think this is about, Mm -hmm. you are coming here because you make money. You don't come here for any other reason. And I was just like, wow, this has hit me in a lot Mm -hmm. of different ways I wasn't expecting. But I think about that to this day. And I was probably like, I don't know, like 19 years old at the time. I think of that now, especially with having my own business and hearing what's important to people. And I think everyone, especially in my field in mental health, like talking about money is still very taboo. And, you know, having expectations of people and having expectations of staff, it's hard because you're in a helping profession. And you also know what it's like to feel like you're a number in a bigger pool that's just like getting burned in a lot of ways. Like you're Mm -hmm. not being valued. You're not being respected. You're not being paid what you should be paid, all of these things. And so it's hard to be on the other side and also be in a helping professional and say like, here's what has to happen. Like here are the expectations in order for you to make money. And then you hear people say things like, and this is industry-wide, you know, in my field as well, like, well, we shouldn't be talking about money or we shouldn't be talking about numbers or productivity or all of those things. And it's like, but it all comes down to the fact that no one's getting paid in monopoly money. Everyone's getting, everyone has real bills. And if you don't, then you're in a privileged position where you don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about that. And that's fine. But that's a completely different conversation. 
Right. 99% well, of people. Succeed. Exactly. Like there's no money to yeah. pay anyone. There's no helping anybody. There's no nothing right. happening. And so I appreciate you bringing that part up. It's like, you know, we're not talking about something that that is really vital to being able to live like air, water, food. We need all of those things. And we need mm-hmm. money to be able to keep ourselves safe, to have a house to live in, like, you know, all of those things. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's it's funny you say that because I so I grew up working in a restaurant. My parents owned a restaurant when I was 11. So most of the people that it was ice cream shop and down the shore. So most people, it wasn't their real job. We were 14, right. 15, 16 servers. Right. But this was the, what put me through school, what put my sister through school, what put my parents, put food on the table, mm-hmm. like gave them passion in their life because they loved it. I continued to work in restaurants till I was 26 with a college degree, bartending. And I would see people I went to high school with all the time. And I went to a very prestigious high school and I hated mm-hmm. it because they were all rich snobs. Mm-hmm. And I would pull up in like my car that I bought myself and there would be someone next to me with like the brand new version of that mm-hmm. car because their dad bought mm-hmm. it. And I just never felt like I fit in no matter how much I tried. But they would be like, oh, is this your real job? And I would get so offended because I'm like, yeah, it's pretty fucking real. <laughs> I'm serving you a drink and now day. I'm going to charge you double because you're life. an asshole. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and I think, but again, those ideas and the pe- people saying that Again, driving these ideas that I had as a kid or as a now I have I'm not even in a real job. Like my worth mm. is is so low because I'm not as good as you. And like this perpetuated this idea that I I don't know, like I continued to, I think, stay in that industry longer than I should have because I was fearful of, of switching and the money. And you know right. what I mean? Like, but I remember people saying that and I'm like, it like hurts because you're like, well, I mean, it's not that this is, you know, because you would feel like, oh, this is all you can do. But like there's people when I started working, I remember the last place I worked was Del Frisco's and it was like a steak, really nice steakhouse in Philly. They paid 100 percent of your health insurance. They they put all your money into it. Like the people that that was their career could actually make it a career because oh, yeah. they, they provided these mm-hmm. things. So like for someone to come in and question, is this your actual job? What else do you do? And, and you just feel like this is it, you know, yeah. and, and I think. Those ideas stayed with me. And then when I would be in, I, I, went, fell, I fell into sales because I was so fed up with the restaurant industry. I didn't want to work nights and weekends anymore. And I still felt like I wasn't like maybe living up to my potential. Like I'm only doing this because this is, but again, now that I look over the years, like I do really well and I feel ashamed to say that. And in, instead of being able to celebrate, it's fine to, yeah, I got to pay my bill. Why should we just be okay talking about doing the bare minimum? I got to send my kids to school. I got to pay my bills. I got to what if I want to buy like a nice car mm-hmm. or do something that's not ne- a necessity, that's a want, right? There's wants and needs. And when I get to a place where I can afford to do the things I want, I feel like ashamed of it. Like you <laughs> you texted me the other day, but we're both going to St. Lucia and we're like, I want to take the helicopter in, right? I don't need to. I want to, <laughs> you know, or like stupid stuff like that. Like I want to buy a BMW that now I want to get rid of because it's not worth it, you know? <laughs> but when I like, I don't know, I bought when I bought a new car, people, I, I just same thing with jobs. I, I go through cars because I like cars and not that I'm wasting money, but I feel ashamed of that because most people are like, oh, another new car yeah. instead of being like, hey, cool, you got a new or I think they're going to say that. Right. There's this like idea in my head of what other people are going to think of me yeah. if I'm succeeding. Right. Which is like the opposite of what you would think. You'd think like being ashamed of not being good enough. And now sometimes it's like, I don't know if you feel that with your business as you're you bought your building, you opened a second business like things are going really well. Like I do. I feel sometimes I feel sometimes like the I definitely celebrate with certain people, mm-hmm. which is fine. And that's fine to me. And I like I feel like I know the people who I want to celebrate with. I do still feel the tendency to like celebrate quietly. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily just money. It's like that goes back to like, ugh, like deep stuff that we don't have time for today. But like, just yes, it's all like, deep. The, like if you are celebrating yourself, then you've got nothing to learn. You must know everything. Mm, you're bragging. Um, yeah, you're bragging. You're cocky. Like all of those things. There's also for me this like weird superstition. Like if I celebrate too much, I'll like lose everything. Which is well, and not it's funny rational. you say that because I think like that. Yeah, like and I think if I sell and I feel like I'm cringing. Just anybody listening, I'm cringing inside saying some of these <laughs> things. But this is part of like the the therapeutic aspect of it for me. Maybe it's yeah. for me. Hopefully, somebody else out there is like, yeah, yeah. But I my first sales, my first real sales job. I was in a sales organization where all we did was celebrate the wins. Like you were President's Club or bust. It, President's Club is like the top 10%, right? So like people were like, what's your quota? I'm like, President's Club. And like, really, only 10% of the reps are going to hit that. So like, again, that succeed or fail mentality. But I worked with all men. I was the only female in my in my group. There was like 12 of us. And all we would do was talk about money. How much did you sell this week? How much did you sell? Like, what did you do? How much is your commission? Like, it was a normal conversation. Because Mm -hmm. again, I think the nature of my job 
is that's what we're driven by. If you're not driven by making money, you're not going to succeed in sales because right. it's not easy. You can get told no 150 times a day until that one person says yes, and that could make your year. Like, it's not easy. And some people will think like, oh, like, I've always like worked from home or the road or I'd be done work at like done work at two o'clock. And like, everyone's like, do you even work? And I'm like, I'm literally working all the time because it's mm-hmm. I don't have my own business, but it's similar because if I don't sell, I'm not going to make money. And I'm going to get fired, right. you know? Right. So I think this idea that like I've always been comfortable, like you said, with certain people talking about it. And you realize when you bring I would realize at least when I brought those conversations to like my it's gotten different over the years because I think I've gotten more comfortable with who I am. And I'm just like, this is who I am. I'm not going to apologize for it. But certain people will just roll their eyes or not really get it. Or And I think maybe that's maybe that's just what it is. Like you find the people that you can celebrate with. You find the people you can lean on and talk to about this. Like I said, I still I'm really good friends with one of the guys I worked with years ago. And him and I always have these conversations still to this day because I know that that's somebody I can talk to. It's not going to judge me. That's going to get right. it. And um. But also, like you said, celebrating those wins. Like, I love seeing people succeed because it inspires me to succeed more. So I don't know if maybe some people just and, and everyone's different, right? Maybe someone's just comfortable clocking in, clocking out, going to their job, making enough money until they hit retirement and like they're happy. That's great. Mm-hmm. I wi- I almost wish like I, I tried for so long to be that person because I just wanted to be content. And I thought not being content meant like something was wrong with me. Right. But I think what I've learned is that I can't constantly tell myself I'm meant for more, not in a negative way, but to keep pushing myself forward, to keep doing more. Like, that's what kind of spurred this podcast, too. Like, I can still do my job. And like, this is like, I feel a little passion about this. Maybe I should explore that. Maybe we should do this yeah. for a little bit. And seeing you do it inspired me to do it. And like I said, wherever it goes, it goes. And and it's just like, even the blog, like, I mean, my dad was giving me some constructive criticism the other day. And I was like, Dad, it's just like a place for me to write my thoughts. Like, I, right now, I don't know if anybody's even going to read it. Wrong, Dad. My mom was like, you got to stop using the word like. And I'm like, I'm just looking at it as having like a conversation with somebody. <laughs> so maybe if I get a sponsor one day or something, I'll like <laughs> jazz it up more professionally. But yeah, I don't yeah. know this idea. I just think I listen and I listen to a lot of people and I read a lot of books that, that kind of echo what I'm not talking about, but what I'm searching to to learn more about. Mm-hmm. So I think that's helping is keeping knowing that like I'm not crazy because I thought for a long time I was like the only one who felt this way. Right. That I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I A couple of things that you said are sticking out to me. So one, going back to people making these comments of is this your real job and how that when you're and I, I think that's true. Again, like that's I even felt that way working mm-hmm. in, in, in the restaurant. Like this isn't my real job or I'm not going to be doing this forever. And that those messages, they really they are hurtful and they really do get internalized. And for you, it sounds like you really held on to that. And that really contributed to that voice that like challenges like, what are you doing? What are you Mm -hmm. doing? What do you think you're doing here? So you leave the restaurant um, industry and then you go into sales. And then there it's like the way you're describing it, it almost sounds like you're like hiding in this group. You're like, oh, shit, when are they going to find out? When are they going to find out? Let me just keep moving and keep moving, keep moving. But the other side of that, too, is that every time you left those jobs, correct me if I'm wrong, you got positions that paid you more money. So it's like you left for good reasons. You weren't just like, they're going to find me and so I'm out. It was like you started looking because those feelings came up. And part of what I'm imagining what happened is you regulated those feelings by looking, right? So you like feel some distress. You start feeling nervous. Are they going to find out? How am I going to be able to top this? That's another thing is like when you do really well and you're performing at higher levels, people then expect that of you. And that Mm -hmm. feels like a lot of pressure. And so then you start looking for other jobs, which probably soothed your anxiety. But then you go apply for these jobs. You get them to your surprise and you get more money than you were real, like really than you thought you were going to get in the first Mm -hmm. place. And so you leave all of these for good reasons. But I think that ends up in ways it kind of like, it inadvertently reinforced your anxiety about leaving or about not fitting in because you left and it was a good decision and it was better. But then the clock would start ticking and you would be there Mm -hmm. and be like, man, is this going to happen again? I don't know. And then you have this secondary anxiety around like, well, why do I keep leaving? Why does this keep happening? I keep leaving. But then every time you ended up getting a better position and ended up finding yourself a little bit more. So it's just, that's a really interesting process. I don't think we've really talked about until... Now, like those messages that you internalized around like, what's your real job? We can't take you seriously. Pulling up in the school where, you know, everybody's rich and you're like the not rich person there just trying to do your best to fit in. All of that plays into your inner dialogue of, 
What am I doing here? Am I going to be able to make this? Who am I kidding? When are they going to find out? Let me get out of here. But then, you know, in ways that like it, it messed things up because it reinforced that thought cycle. Mm-hmm. But it also worked out because you got better jobs every time. Yeah. And it's crazy because I I think I don't I don't think I really realized that until like, again, like re- being able to talk because I felt so ashamed to even talk about it. Like I would just do these things like I felt like in a vacuum, even though and I, it wasn't like my husband everybody doesn't know is a therapist by trade, too. So I would talk to him a lot. And he and he would kind of say what you just said, like every time you go, it's a better position. And like you never make a bad de- decision. You've never like you handle all our finances like. He just said something the other day. I was talking about something I wanted to do, like financially, like some creative financing around the house. And he's like, what? I was like, oh, I need you to sign for this, too. And he's like, whatever. You you always make you, like you've never let us wrong. But I'm continually always questioning myself and, and to probably to a fault sometimes. But this last job that I took, my boss now, he said to me, OK, well, let's talk about your resume. Because I know I can't like I don't lie on a resume because like they do a background check. They can see. And um, I said, all right, let's talk about it. And he said, um, well, I know there's probably a story for every you know position you've had. Obviously, he was alluding to the fact that I haven't stayed anywhere very long, you know, more mm-hmm. than two years, except for one job years ago. And it's funny, I was there for three years, but I had two different positions. So it's like I got that itch to like, you know, and I changed <laughs> internally, you know, you had to do something else. And and I don't know if that's the entrepreneur in me or like, I, it's a lot of things. I think what I'm realizing is coming together, not none, some negative, some positive. So like, I'm trying to just look at it for what it is. And I, he said, just give me the 30 second spiel. And I said, okay, well, I've never, aside from like one or two, I've never really gone out and sought them, which like, to your point, I have gone out and looked, but ultimately a recruiter has always reached out to me like on LinkedIn. And I said, and a recruiter reached out to me on LinkedIn about this job. Like I was happy at my job. I just got back from maternity leave. I was looking at, you know, going into management and you guys recruited me. And like every job I've taken has been mostly because I've been recruited and it's been more money in a better position. So it's always been a move in the right direction. So you tell me, I flipped it on him, why I should come work for you. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I say that all and it's like, oh, who, who is this? But then I get out of the interview and I'm like, who the fuck was that person? Because I, <laughs> I can present. showed up. <laughs> right, exactly. I can present in that way. It's the same thing on a sales call. Like you, you know, And then you get off and I'm just exhausted because it's like it's like someone else takes over. Like, yes, it's a part of me. It's that confidence, that air of like maybe cockiness because in sales and kind of when you're selling yourself, I feel like there's a little bit of that that serves you. And I've trained Justin on this sometimes where I'm like, ask for more money. And he would used to get mad at me. He'd be like, it's not the same as your business and blah, 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 because I help people that what you said right. in that business of helping people. When he moved into for-profit industries from nonprofit, I said, well, now they're making money so you can ask for more money. And it was mm-hmm. like, I remember the first time he did and then they gave it to him and he was like, Oh my God. I'm like, yeah, imagine if you would have asked her $5,000 more, you know, <laughs> like they're not going to not tell. And that's my, my advice to anybody who might be listening about if you're negotiating a salary and reading a book on this now, always ask for more. If they want you, they're not going to say, can't pay you that. We're not going to hire you now. They're going to come back and say, okay, we'll give you, you 5,000 less or something well, like that. Well, and it just like, doesn't hurt to ask. Like if the answer is no, then the answer is no, but at least right. you know, and at least But they're not going to not hire you. They may just, they're going to negotiate with you. Like that's mm-hmm. what I've learned. So so anyway, like that, that was, I think this round, and I really do like this job. I really want to stay, you know, like it, my boss is great. Like there's a lot more, but the money is great, but there's a lot other things that are great too. I have a great boss. I have, you know, freedom of my schedule, flexibility, like that's always what I've wanted. And now I'm able to explore. It has given me the ability to do other things like the podcast and things outside of work that, you know, looking at real estate investing and things like that, that. I think, again, comes from that entrepreneurial side of my brain that's never satisfied, never content, but not in a bad way. I'm starting to look at that now as like, maybe it's not a negative thing. Maybe maybe internally, I'm always pushing myself to do more. And it doesn't necessarily mean in just my job, in other areas. So I can like, I don't know, not that I need to feel accomplished, but like, I just think having like having entrepreneurial parents, I never actually owned my own business, but going out and starting to do things on my own outside of my job. I don't know for me, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm just yeah. like, I got my hands in a lot of things and I'm, I'm doing things. And like, I don't know, maybe that's what drives and motivates me. And I, like, again, I'm still on this journey of like self-discovery and I don't know if I'll ever get off of it. But ever since COVID hit and I started reading more books and started listening to more podcasts and started like tapping into this idea of like, why don't we talk about money? Why don't I talk about money? Why am I so ashamed of it? It, It's gotten easier. And what I've realized is like, I think more people are more comfortable talking about at least friends of mine, like I'll have these conversations and I can kind of see if someone's not into it. But I have people that will come to me to talk about this stuff. And I'm like, all for it. Like, I love it. You know, you and I sat there at that women's lunch that one day and we were like, I think I might have said to you, I don't know if you said it to me or I said to you, I was like, 
you mind if I ask how much you make or something? Like, because, and it wasn't because I was, I was just was like curious because yeah. of your field and like entrepreneurs and people in business. Like, yeah. I don't know. It was for no other reason than just to like gather data. I don't know yeah. if that makes no, sense at all. It is, it is an interesting point. And that is one where it's like, if you ask someone how much they make, it's generally seen as like rude or, or, but I think being able to see just like what else is out there, like what it's mm-hmm. like comparatively. And if you don't ask those questions, you don't really know what opportunities are out there. I know you and I have talked about different books that we've read. I was reading something last night just about like women in particular won't even apply for jobs because they think mm-hmm. that they're not qualified. And I just, I think in this episode, there's a lot of opposite action to shame, talking about things that make you feel uncomfortable, opposite action to fear. Even if you're afraid, like, you know, what's the worst that can happen if you ask for more or apply for that job or, and, and even like applying this to to many other things, like maybe, maybe you are the person who doesn't want to go out and just hustle and make money and that's totally fine. But are there other areas in your life where your relationship with money makes you uncomfortable. And like, maybe there are more conversations you should be having with your partner, or Mm -hmm. maybe you need more help and you are ashamed to ask for help because it just looks like your bank account is in complete financial ruin. That's another thing I wanted to bring up because I'm sure there are plenty of people who are listening to this episode who are like, my financial trauma is the fact that I don't have any finances Mm -hmm. and my, you know, I owe a shit ton of money and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I live paycheck to paycheck. I can't even imagine doing something like taking a vacation or anything like that because I am just so far in the hole. And that is an incredibly difficult place to be. Like the unrest of mm-hmm. being stressed about money is just one of the worst things because it, it often compounds and feels insurmountable. Like as you're trying to get out of the hole, more dirt just keeps mm-hmm. falling in. So I'm wondering like for people who are listening to this that are like, I'm in it right now. I'm behind on bills. I'm so stuck. I work at a job that's like minimum wage or less and I can't even see myself getting to the, like what it, what's in it for me? What what where what are the places that I need to look for? What are the conversations that I need to be having? So I'm glad you said that because like I've been there. And it doesn't for me, I think this is another thing about like financial trauma or like whatever you want to call it, like generational trauma, because I read something that was like, there's like this magic number and I have it in my head that like I'll always be in X amount of debt or something. Right. And I've done it. I've made more money than than like to pay my bills and all of that and still racked up thirty, forty thousand dollars in credit card debt. I'll never forget. And I was like, I I handle all of our finances for my husband and I. We were about to get married. I remember being so ashamed. Like, how did I do this? Why did I do this? I can pay my, it's not like I was, like I was spending, right? And I was reading something recently or listening to somebody and it was like the same advice I would give. Like, I'm not going to tell you to stop going to Wawa every day and getting a sandwich and coffee or Starbucks. Like that's not going to make you rich. But if you're a spender, like I'm a spender, I know who I am. I've gotten to a place where like I I have to save myself from myself and I can spend my way. Now there's two different, I can spend my way into debt. Maybe that's because of like, whatever anxieties and things that are driving that. Like I leave my debit cards out of my wallet. I give myself an allowance. I, I I invest automatically. Everything comes out of my paycheck automatically. 401k, other investment account. Like everything doesn't even hit my bank account because I know like, if, if I don't have put it, it'll it, go. Yeah. If I have it, it'll go. And then part of me is like, no matter how much, no matter what I spend, when I need something, whatever, I feel I go through this whole thing of shame and guilt because that's just who I am. But to the people who like are really struggling living paycheck to paycheck, I always say, because I have friends that I talk to about this, honestly, like, and this is not to like shame anybody. My first thing is look at, are you making, this is as simple as, are you making coffee in the morning at yeah. home? Are you packing your breakfast? Are you making breakfast? Are you packing lunch? Like not for nothing. Most people I talk to do not do those things. And I'm saying like, it's not going to make you rich, but if you're spending $15 a day at Wawa in the morning, because you're buying sandwich and coffee and maybe a snack bar, and then you're going out again for lunch, it's another $10, $15. Like you're spending almost hundreds of dollars a week, which could, you know, like if you look at that and just change little things like that, maybe you could put that money into a savings account and an investment account. I did it the other day where I went, I shopped online. I bought some stuff like some clothes and I felt guilty about it. So then I went and took that same money and I put it into um, my savings account. Mm -hmm. And I write about this in the blog. It's like, Okay, maybe I, maybe you're like, oh, well, I don't have another $200 if I just spent $200. Okay, then don't buy the clothes. Maybe buy $100 and then put the other $100 into an investment account. And then you feel a little bit better because if you're so if you're spent, if you're look, if you honestly get honest and look at your spending and see where you can like save some money or, or maybe not do that thing. 
that's like you just have to get honest look at your if i look at my yeah. bank statements i'm like oh my god because you're just like yeah. you're swiping your card left and right like money to you don't nowadays, feel it as much you don't yeah. feel it it's like fake right because mm-hmm. it's just numbers on a screen it's just swiping a card it's like i will hold my cash and swipe my card like it just it's still this you feel like you're not giving too. it over <laughs> so it's like so i leave my cards at home or i get rid of my you know or if you're in a ton of debt right there's creative ways. If you have a home, maybe take a home equity loan out, pay it off at a low interest rate, but resolve yourself to not spend that again. Cut those mm-hmm. credit cards up. You don't need them. If you have mm-hmm. to put it on credit, you don't need it. Mm-hmm. But if you were in a dire situation where you are just like, I'm working a minimum wage job, I can barely afford it. I'm not doing all those things. Like I I know how hard it has to be. And I mm-hmm. and I my my heart goes out to those people because I know mm-hmm. that that's out there. But just, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, just believe in yourself. You can do more. There are so many opportunities right now for for jobs because mm-hmm. after COVID, and I work in employee benefits now, so we're always talking about the workforce and how it's changed. A lot of people went out on their own. There's a million ways to make money on the internet, whether it's mm-hmm. like drop shipping with Amazon or or whatever, like content creation or managing, you know, virtual assisting. Like there's mm-hmm. so many ways to make That's money true. online yeah. that you can do in your spare time. Um, whether it's a side, it's like we're in the age of side hustles, right? You know, like when yeah. I was younger, my parents used to go to the Berlin Mart and sell sunglasses on the weekends. Like that was their side hustle. Now you don't have to leave your house. Yeah. But there's also a lot of jobs out there. If you're willing to look or or go to some networking groups or just talk to people, like just get outside of your brain because I think we can stay stuck in our head and be like, this is all I'm worth. This is all I'm going to, I'm never going to get out of this, this rat race of like showing up, just barely paying my bills. Like I was just reading a book this morning and it sounds so cheesy. Like if you believe you, if you believe you can succeed, you will. If you believe you can't, you're not going to. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying if you believe you're going to succeed tomorrow, you're going to get a hundred thousand dollar, you know, raise, right. but the little, what did it say? It said something like, if I believe the how-to will come if you believe that you can. Like those mm-hmm. ideas of like how I can get to the next level will come if you just believe. Like so read some books, like stuff that's free, right? True. Listen to podcasts, like yeah. get inspired and and take those little actions because the time's going to pass anyway and a year's going to go by like that. And even if you can raise your income by like $5,000 a year, maybe the next year you can get – like mm-hmm. it's not going to happen overnight. And we live in also in a time of like – and I, I want everything right now. And if it's not going to happen right now, I don't want it at all. But I look at it as like, I'm probably going to be working for another 30 years. So like, I better start doing some things that aren't so miserable, right? Or right. taking steps in the right direction. So anyway, that's a long way to explain. There's different levels of, of situations that people are in. But I think if, if you, here's one other thing. If you're smoking cigarettes and you say you're broke, quit smoking. I because know. it's, my mom smokes and she spends like $500 a month. And they then she's like, are <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's hard. I've, and I've had, I'm thinking, I'm just kind of like reflecting on different conversations I've either had with clients or friends and family members who are really stressed. And again, I know what it feels like to be really stressed. I don't know. I was thinking of this the other day because I knew I was coming on this episode. I'm curious. I'm going to have to ask my parents. Like in some ways, I feel like there were moments where we weren't poor. I think it's a lot to say that we were poor. And I think my parents growing up, experienced poverty like Mm -hmm. more than I did like I never went hungry and I realized there's plenty of people who go hungry but like there were times where we were on food stamps and like the way to pay for something at a store was like bouncing a check like that Mm. as a child I was like are you gonna bounce a check like I thought that that was you were aware of that yeah strategy like you'll pay money for this Mm. later but you'll be able to leave the grocery store like I've experienced those things I don't know that I would say that I was poor like the depths of poverty Mm -hmm. there, there are levels to that. And I don't want to assume, you know, I don't want to make any like statements around that for myself, but I know what it feels like to struggle in those ways and be stressed and then have conversations with people who are like, but that's my, that's my one thing, you know, like cigarettes, smoking cigarettes Mm -hmm. or going to whatever or getting Mm -hmm. my nails in or whatever. And it's like, and that's fine. Like that's a decision you can make, but it's going to be at a cost. Like, you know, you're not going to get, again, this isn't going to, make you rich the next day. It's not even going to make you like, okay, the next day, but it'll Mm -hmm. stop the hole from, you know, getting bigger and from, from more dirt coming in. And yeah, if you can even take that money, like I said, it's it's not going to make you rich, but if you can take even, even $10 a week, if you go, if you Google like compounding interest calculator, right, just do it. Like I put money away for my son. I started with $10 a week, $10. You're not going to notice $10, you know, into an investment account. And then I upped it over time. Every, every so often I'd be like 10 more, 10 more, whatever. Cause this is what I do with my investing you will see it's going to grow exponentially because of the interest it accrues and then it grows on its own money. So like, I think even just the mindset around that, if I can do even just a little bit, right, more than I'm doing now, if I can take that 
$30 every other week I'm spending to get my nails done at $60 a month and put that away, I might just Mm -hmm. feel a little bit better, right? It might inspire me to do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Like, so like, again, it's not going to make you rich, but I think it helps shift the mindset. And that's the most important thing is this idea that I'm never going to be able to, well, if I can start with just a little bit and, and just a little bit's better than nothing, right? You, You know, like, Maybe you're not looking to get rich. Maybe you're just looking to build an emergency savings fund. And then when you do that, you can look to the next thing, right? Like there's this, again, this under, like you're not going to put away $100,000 overnight, you know, but little by little. Like I said, if you, if you look at our daily habits, like, I mean, I do it. Like I, I bought, you know, instead of going out to Starbucks or going out and grabbing a coffee or grabbing, I stopped buying lunch out when I worked that first sales job because I realized I was spending like $15 a day every day I was out on the road. I would just pack chicken and rice and put it on the dashboard when it was warm out so it would warm up. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> as yeah, silly like as it doesn't sounds. have to be this fancy thing. And I think that's yeah. what's really important to hear as well. The mindset thing, on the one hand, I think people can hear that and they're like, blah, blah. Yeah, mm-hmm. positive mindset. You can do anything. But the reason that that's so important is because if you believe that you don't have the capacity to change or it's not going to change, you then won't take actions to change. Mm-hmm. So, It's not just this cliche, you can do anything you want. Like the reason that it's important to consider what your mindset is, is because your actions and behaviors generally follow. So if you're telling yourself, there's no point in listening to any of this or doing any of this thing, or there's nothing I can do to better my financial situation. There are blogs you can read for free, podcasts Mm -hmm. you can listen to. And there are ones that are completely centered on getting out of debt and financial Mm -hmm. crisis and things like that. So I like that because that's something that anyone can do. It's free. It's not going to cost money. And it does help with the mindset of this is how it's going to be forever. There was a mental health coach that I'm friends with on Facebook, and she was posting about the recent student debt forgiveness thing. And there are people who were upset. And I can totally get this because I I have made this complaint a lot of times in my life that when you do the right thing, you don't get reinforced for it. Mm-hmm. So previously, earlier this year, there was a huge wave of debt forgiveness for student loans for people who went into forbearance. And I remember saying, like, I never went into forbearance because it cost money. Like, it it felt like not a good decision. I did the right thing. I sucked it up. I made my payments. And I never went into forbearance. And because I did the right thing, now I don't get any rewards. And so this is coming up a lot right now with, like, the $10,000, $20,000 student loan forgiveness. Like, what about people who have already paid for it? So there's this whole sidebar conversation and this woman posted about this and she was like, you know, we need to stop coming at like one another and getting upset that like, oh, I did the right thing and I didn't get paid because number one, when a bunch of people do better then everyone does better. But mm-hmm. the other thing is like, we need to be more upset at the fact that like people can take student loans out that are going to really ruin their lives. And we're not mad at like the debt collectors and how much you sign off on when you're like, for me, I was 17 years old when I got student loans mm-hmm. and I had, I really had no idea how it was going to impact me. But the other thing she said was that, I made the decision to be debt-free X amount of years ago. She said, I paid $77,000 off of student loan debt in one year. So my initial thought is like, well, of course you did because you make so much money. Yeah, how nice. But when I read her post, it was like, we ate ramen like Mm -hmm. six nights out of the week. Like we made this commitment to change our lives and Mm -hmm. it it wasn't great, but I'm really proud of it. I'm glad we did it. And I'm glad that everyone else who's getting student loan debt relief is getting it right now because the corporations suck and this is not yep. okay. But it was really cool because I would have ne- I think that like when I hear people talk about being debt free truly like no car payment, no house payment, no student loans, I I used to have that mindset of like that'll never happen to me. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but like it's not just because these are at least the people I'm talking about aren't rich people who came into mm-hmm. a lot of money. They're people who made a complete lifestyle change. And there are going to be times when I'm willing to do some things. And there are going to be times when I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that because YOLO. Yeah. I don't want to go out yeah. and eat steak. Well, and- <laughs> yeah. well and, that's, and that's the thing, too. There's a, I had a friend of mine on my podcast, if you guys looked, um, his name's Glenn. And he paid off like $186,000 of debt in 18 months. And I wow. met him at my gym. And he like he tells his whole story about he was like homeless in his car and like, you know, working a job he thought he loved and then lost it and all this stuff. And like. He literally gave up his life for a year and a half, like moved home with his parents. And he says, I'm, I was privileged to be able to do that. No, not everybody can. And right. literally paid all of this debt off. And it's like the, what he gave up to be able to do that, although he Everything. had a, he had gotten a decent job. He, he missed weddings. He missed, you know, wow. friendships were like, eh, because he, he knew that that was the most important thing for him. And he even says now, I don't know if I'll be debt free forever. Um, He did the Dave Ramsey thing. He's like, I don't believe 100 percent in that. But right now I'm enjoying it. Like. I have a credit card, but like credit cards weren't my thing. It was student right. loans. It was, 
but it, and that's where him and I were talking. About. I was like, if you're gonna, if I'm not good with credit cards, right? <laughs> I will tell you, like, I'm not this financial guru over here. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've learned from it. I use them sparingly because I I will like rack you it up. Yourself. I've done it before. Yeah. I mm-hmm. you get to a point where you know who you are. And you have to like just be, you know, if you know you're not good with that stuff, then don't do it. But I think you said something good about the whole student loan forgiveness. You know, I paid my student loans off. I was fortunate enough to to have the ability to do that. I'm not mad at those who like my husband's got like eighty thousand dollars of student loan debt because of grad school, mm-hmm. and he might get the ten thousand dollar, you know, whatever, which isn't going to make. Here's the thing: what I read about it, it's not going to make the ten thousand dollars isn't going to make a huge chunk for people who have a lot of debt. Yeah. Right. But it's what it, what it was intended mm-hmm. to do was help those who only have about ten thousand dollars, because statistically, people who took out maybe ten, twenty thousand dollars in debt didn't really go to Ivy League high level schools, postgraduate schools, and they're probably not making as much money. And they're more likely to default on their loans, have mm-hmm. their credit affected, all of this stuff. So if we help them out the most, there's a better chance for those to succeed. Now, yeah. if you have $80,000 of student loan debt, you probably were fortunate enough to go to a decent school. You might have a better job because you went to further education where you're actually able to make those payments. So like when you really think about it, and again, like, why is it like, oh, well, I'm not going to benefit from this and no one should. Like, who, yeah. like, That's I just like, like that, that yeah. mindset and that idea needs to go and those people suck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, because it does. And, I, and I've and i said, like, I, I've fallen into that before of like, well, I did the yeah. right thing and I didn't get anything back. And I, I read another um, post that was just also like, you know, when our society is overly capitalistic, not in the sense, and again, this comes back to mindset and just having mindfulness and awareness around like what your mindset is and how that influences your behaviors to have the mindset of, I want to make a lot of money and that's fine, but also not be so lost by having money be the driving force Mm -hmm. that you step over people, that you don't give back, that, you know, you are greedy and neglecting other parts mm-hmm. of your life or, or your or relationships are suffering because you, you're you so addicted to working and money that really nothing else matters. I think that's like the sickness that comes around mm-hmm. money that gets spread. And then when we catch it, we find ourselves saying things like, well, you know, is it okay to ask how much money you make or how much you paid for your deck? That's all a part of the sickness. And so if we can work on, you know, mindfulness for me changes everything. If we can add mm-hmm. mindfulness and awareness to the relationship we have with money, where, you know, some of the damage in our relationship has come from, how we're relating to it now, how we relate to other people when money comes up, we can make changes for the better. So that way it doesn't become, because it's not going anywhere, you know, it's not something that we're going to be able to go without. So because of that, it's in our best interest to really look inside and outside and consider what do I think about this right now? And what do I want to do with that information? As opposed to just being like, on autopilot in a quote unquote effective way, which is like this capitalistic addiction. And and Mm -hmm. I think like ends up getting reinforced by a lot of people, even if it's creating a lot of pain inside or in in a family system or in a a bigger system, or even in ways where it's just like, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to make any money. And so there's no point in talking about it. So either way, wherever you are, it just, you know, I I love this conversation because it's one that's not super typical when it comes to considering mental health, but without checking yourself and your relationship to money and finances, there's a lot of stress that can really just compound all of the other things that are going on, going on in life. So, yeah. Well, and I think to your point, there's one, there's one guy I listen to and he always talks about, there's like four pillars of health. And we we always talk about our physical health, right? Like obviously everybody knows you got to be physically healthy. Mental health is on the rise of being talked about. And we talk about it all the time with what I do for work with mental well-being and how we're helping our employees and all of this emotional and spiritual health, right? A lot of people are spiritual. We have to believe in good things and we will ultimately attract good things. You know, it is true. Financial health is the fourth pillar of that. And to your point, if we don't talk about our financial health, the stress and the shame and the guilt and all of that, that that piles on and piles on is going to affect our spiritual health. I'm not going to believe I'm meant for more. My mental health is messed up, right? I've talked a lot about how it screwed with mine. And physically, stress is the, like the number one killer or something. Like it's, it's going to affect yep. you. So it's like we need to talk about this good, bad, or indifferent. Celebrate the wins. Let's talk about the losses. Let's talk about how to help you get rise up from where you are to level up to the next level. And I think it's so important this idea that we not just like talk about, you know, how to make more, but how do we heal this this relationship that we have with money? Because what I look at, and I joke this, and I joke saying money is fake, right? Money is not, it. money in itself is not bad. It's literally a piece of paper or numbers on a screen. It's what we do with it that can be good or bad, yeah. right? We, we, we tend to think as a society that people who are wealthy or greedy or nasty, blah, blah, blah. But 
you know, if you want to do good things, what you said with your practice, you want to you want to help people get more people in therapy, open more practices to help more people. You need money to get there. You need to. And why shouldn't you be able to live a decent life in the meantime? Like right. I joke and say, Mother Teresa didn't fly around, you know, the world helping people for free. Somebody funded that. Yeah. These organizations that are nonprofits that help people have fundraisers like so money can be good. Money can it's not the money, it's it's what we do with it. And some people can do really good things, some people can do really bad things, but it doesn't mean that money itself is bad, right? We True. need to that idea needs to go. And the more we talk about it, the more the weight that gets lifted, the more the healthier we feel. And then we can start making those little changes. Like you said, those little things that are gonna move the needle forward. And it might be a very, very slow, hard process. Like you said, we've known people that have given up a lot to get themselves into a certain position. But like, there are people out there that you can learn from and talk to. And then if you're in a really good position, and you feel like guilty and shameful about it, like talk about that too, because that's not serving anybody. Right? Like me not being proud of how like the success I've had is not serving anybody. I can say like, I help my parents, I help, you know, our family, like all these good things I do. And if I still don't feel good about it, like what point is it, you know, to, 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 do well and then not like enjoy your life. So there's a lot of levels to it that I think we covered today. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I hope that like, you know, people get something from it, you know? Yeah, I'm sure they will. Let people know, just remind everyone the name of your podcast and where they can find you if they want to learn more about you and, and listen in more. Yeah, um, it's Uncomfortable Conversations About Money with Nicole Taylor. Um, like I said, we have everybody from financial advisors, to entrepreneurs, to those crawling out of debt, you know, stay-at-home moms on. So So really it's like, the full gamut of learning from everybody and, and their ideas and situations with money. You can find it on anywhere you listen to podcasts. And my blog is thenicoletaylor.com, Nicole with an H. So if anybody has any ideas or people you want to hear on the podcast, let me know. Yeah, send them over. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Also, for anybody who doesn't know, I feel like we might have said this, but um, most of you have probably heard Justin's episode, Justin and Nicole are married. And I also, I was I was recording a solo episode the other day. And I was referencing, um, went to our friend Justin and Nicole's last night, and I said it was so wild because we stayed out <laughs> until 1030. It's like so craziest wild. parents. Um, but yeah, this is this is um, the Nicole Taylor. So I'm, I'm happy to have her on. I'm sure she'll be on again. Thanks for everything that you're doing and putting out into the world. It's for sure to make a difference. So I just yeah. feel excited to, to start the conversation for people. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me on. This was fun. All right. Take care, everyone. And we will see you next time. All right. That's today's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Tea Talk. I hope that your cup of tea is full today and that you were able to pull something out of this for yourself. If you know someone that needs to hear this episode, please send it their way. And let me know what you're thinking by sending me a message on Instagram. I love hearing from you all. And make sure to follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you are loving what you're hearing, please leave me a review and a rating. It would mean so much. All right, friends, take good care and I will see you next time.